the very, 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 I don't know where I'm going with this, astute, how's that? In, in, in one of the uh, best broadcasters out there, our good friend, the 50-time Emmy Award winner, Trevor Maddich, who has been resting and getting ready for college football, but more importantly, he has been getting ready for tomorrow's Songfest show, Volume 3. What's going on, brother? DC, you have been on the road. You, you must have stories to tell and pictures to see. I do, man. I, I talked a little bit about some of those stories uh, last hour. And, uh, yeah, some pictures are out there. There's no question. And, uh, you know, probably a place you're familiar with, you know, the White House. I was dropping your name while I was in Washington, D.C. and was actually talking to one of my Lyft drivers uh, about you, as a matter of fact. No kidding. Well, no kidding. The, uh, what was the White House like? I've never been to the I've driven by it. And anymore, you can't even drive by it and see it because yeah. security's so tight. But what was that like, man? You know, it was, it was great. I, I guess I have to use the word, you know, surreal. I mean, you know, cause I'm not a big politics type of guy, but you know, I've always followed, you know, the teams, the, the championship teams that get a chance to go there. And so I've always tuned into that kind of stuff. And so yeah, to be part of that, um, was really cool to be, you know, included in that and, uh, to be part of that event and that ceremony. Very, very cool. But just, yeah, I mean, it was a beautiful day. We got to walk outside. We got, we were inside of uh, the White House. And yeah, something that I will, you know, remember and cherish uh, forever. But, uh, yeah, those, those sights and scenes are something you're going to remember, you know, forever and ever. I enjoyed it. DC, I want you to know, I want you to know that I feel much more at ease about being around you now <laughs> that you have passed security to be able to get into the White House. Four times, Trevor. It's like yeah. four security checks just to get in that. Yeah, and you passed. You I did. passed them all. I don't know how I feel. You are the <laughs> you are the greatest forger of documents of all time, or you are a squeaky clean dude. Well, that's uh, that, that that's someone else uh, that we both know uh, in my family. That's uh, the great forger of all documents. We'll just leave that at that, okay? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, what have you been doing, man? I know that this is okay. It's like. I, I joke, not joke. I mean, it's serious because like for our business in our calendar in radio kind of goes for sports radio goes like your calendar for football season. It's like our season really cranks up, you know, it week one right after Labor Day. And that's the way it is for you with your, all of your college football coverage that you do for ESPN and everything else there. So, uh, do you kind of just like take a deep breath? Like when you, the calendar turns to August and say, okay, here we go again. Uh, my downtime's over, my vacation's over, and now it's go time. You know what? I described it today. I was having a conversation about this with somebody over at ESPN. And the way I described it was to me, it's like the start of the holiday season, the Christmas season, where the first day that everybody breaks out the decorations and the music and the food and the festivity of the holiday season, and you just you just love that. I mean, I love that. I love that time of the year. And to me, you just back it up a little bit for the start of the football season, and that's what it's like. I mean, it's I just can't wait for this to get started. I'm like a like a little kid on Christmas Eve. What are you looking forward to the most here? Whether it's you know watching a team or you know kind of getting back into that studio, that game day routine. We know that's a marathon for you, but I mean, what aspect do you look forward to the most when you kick off the new season? Well, this particular season, there's two things. On the field, it's the the teams that are expected to compete for a playoff spot that are replacing their quarterback. 
Last year, most of that handful of teams brought back an experienced starter and quarterback. This year, most of them have a new guy. And some of them we know nothing about, like at Alabama. What in the world are we going to get at Alabama at the quarterback position, for goodness sake? So that's going to be interesting to watch. The the second thing, and this is more big picture, this could be the best Pac-12 season in recent memory in football. And it certainly is the best quarterback league in all of college football as we enter the season. And as we see what I expect to be one of the most exciting races for the conference championship in the nation, at the end of this season, the Pac-12 will disappear in a shower of sparks. It'll just go away. And to me, that, that is super weird. That it's, it's such a great place when it comes to football on the field, and it will no longer exist when we get to the end of this season. Now, is that true, Trevor? I mean, is it really true that, I mean, and what was that you, shower of sparks? I don't think I've ever heard of that before. I mean, that's, that's, it'll just go, that's fantastic. I mean, I love that. Shower sparks. Yep. Now, the brand Pac 12 may be around for some way, but the Pac 12 that we've known disappear in a shower of sparks. Mm -hmm. So, you know, avert your eyes if you're, uh, you know, you're worried about brightness and sparks. Mm, Okay. All right. You mentioned Alabama. All right. What is that going to look like? Because, we know that Alabama gets the best of the best at just about every position, but Alabama has won national championships or competed for national championships without having that first round, you know, draft pick in the NFL, you know, a, a year or two later. They've done it with, I don't want to say by committee, but less than stellar quarterbacks in the past. So should we really be that concerned that maybe Alabama doesn't have a four or a five star guy taking over? And actually, what is that going to look like? Alabama will be physically vicious this year. They'll get back to those old days that you talked about, TC, where the quarterback was a good game manager, but they just made people quit because of how physical they were at both lines of scrimmage. And then they kind of went the Lane Kiffin route where they brought in a bunch of great quarterbacks, great receivers, and you had the two Otongo Valoas, and, and Jalen Hurts kind of started that run off a little bit. Mac Jones kept it going. Then Bryce Young wins the Heisman Trophy at quarterback for Alabama. Uh, and this year, I don't know who's going to play quarterback at Alabama. You know, it's, it's, I think they'll carry it as a competition into the regular season a little bit, like Saban has done in the past, and see which guy actually inspires the team and moves the team the most when they get an actual gameplay before he settles on a starter. Um, you know, I, I've heard rumors that the transfer from Notre Dame, Tyler Buckner, might get the first chance at it, but but we'll see how that, that turns out this weekend. But either way, what I'm hearing from Alabama is that that's kind of secondary, that the the, the Bama factor that Nick Saban told me about in his office a couple of years ago that they want to get back to is where they want to go. They want to get back to making people quit. Because if you look at the time when they had good game manager quarterbacks and brutally physical um, offensive and defensive lines, and then brutally physical running backs and linebackers and safeties and the rest behind them, when Bama had that feature, they were winning championships. When they went to the more finesse style in the deep pass, they made, they had tons of yards. They set offensive records left and right, but it also marked the ascension of Georgia as the dominant team to beat at the national level, not Alabama. And I think that Nick Saban would love to have a great quarterback. He'd love to have great receivers. He doesn't right now, as far as we know. They may 
surprise. We'll see. But there, for darn sure, is going to be a, a return to the physical, vicious, physical Alabama brand of football. That's what I expect from them this year. Trevor Mass joins us, ESPN College Football, and of course, our regular guest here, uh, always uh, talking college football and the NFL as well. We've got some pretty interesting matchups, and again, this is the official start of college football this weekend, week number one, and you've got games going for five days in a row. you got games Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday on Labor Day as well. And there's a game on Monday that I'm looking at here, Trevor, and it's LSU and Florida State. Now, we figure that LSU is going to be better with Ryan Kelly's second season there, coming over from Notre Dame now. Again, second season with the uh, Tigers. And then Florida State. What do we expect from them? And this game, you know, really is kind of a, a, a virtual, you know, pick them in this game. LSU is a, is a two and a half point favorite. Uh, that game is actually on, on Sunday, uh, afternoon, late Sunday afternoon, uh, early evening there on the West, on the East Coast. What are your thoughts about these two teams? I can't wait for this game. This is one of my favorites of the opening couple of weeks of the season because the winner of this game will be on a rocket ship to the top of the college football world. The winning quarterback will be catapulted into the conversation with USC quarterback Caleb Williams as front runners for the Heisman Trophy. And the loser will be on double secret probation because we have never had a two lost team make the playoff. And the loser of this game loses in their opening weekend. They have to go undefeated the rest of the way if history is any guide in order to make the playoffs. So there's a lot at stake with two teams, LSU and Florida State, that both have the, the chops, they have the, the talent to be able to challenge for the playoff and even challenge for a national championship. So right off the bat, this is massive. And these are two teams that do have their quarterback back. Jordan Travis at Florida State looks like he's ready to take the next jump. And Jaden Daniels at LSU, both of these guys are being talked about now, even before this game is played, as being Heisman candidates. So there's a lot at stake for the upside and for the downside here. Who do you like in this game? I like Florida State in this game, and the reason is that I don't fully trust Jaden Daniels at quarterback for LSU. He he played really well last year, did a lot of really good things, but he also had a lot of good things happen because the defense got out of position and he ran and he extended plays. I expect Florida State's defense to learn from that. I expect them to keep him corralled so he has to actually beat them as a quarterback and not get out and beat them as a as an athletic kid in the playground running around trying to make plays. And to me, that's the difference. I trust quarterback Jordan Travis of Florida State more than I trust Jaden Daniels in a game like this. Then uh, Monday night, Clemson and Duke. Now, is this going to be the return of Clemson? Because it seemed like, okay... You know, it was almost like a mulligan season for them. We understand they had some quarterback issues. All right. And your boy, you know, uh, DJ, which again, I'm not going to try to, you know, pronounce his name. You know, he is gone. And I know a lot of Clemson Tiger fans, you know, feel that, okay, that experiment uh, went, went wrong. And thank goodness that's over. What do we expect from Dabo's team? I expect Dabo's team to have a defense that once again is one of the best defenses in the country. They're, they're kind of getting back to that. But on offense, Kate Klubnick takes over for DJ Uyunglele, but he might not be the biggest upgrade. I mean, Garrett, um, Riley is, he came over from TCU 
where he was the offensive coordinator last year. And it's kind of odd for Dabo Sweeney to promote from the outside, but I think in this case he kind of needed to because the, the offensive scheme of Clemson over the last several years, in my opinion, had gotten stale. It wasn't very creative. It was easy for defenses to key in on. And if you don't have the, the future NFL quarterbacks and receivers like Clemson did several years ago, then you've got to, you've, you're on an equal footing and the defense has the edge because the defense can anticipate what you're going to do. They overcame that with great talent. But the last few years, their receiving core has been very average. Quarterback play with DJ Uyunglele was not able to overcome it. And I think that bringing in Garrett Riley to put some juice into the offensive schemes is going to help tremendously. Now, now this is a tricky game for Clemson because Duke has a returning quarterback in Riley Leonard who is who is sneaky excellent. They won nine games last year, Duke did, and they'll be even better this year. So this is not a cupcake for Clemson to get their you know get their feet wet on. I mean, this is a losable game for Clemson, and it's at, it's it's at Duke. Uh, and so I believe that this is a tricky game. I think Clemson's going to win it. Um, they're a two-touchdown favorite about. But Clemson had better be ready to go with all these new pieces because Duke is coming in with some experience. Colorado and TCU. That's a matchup that really has got my eye here because I think everyone wants to see what Colorado is going to be like under Deion Sanders, his first year at this program, really taking, taking a step up now, you know, uh, with this, uh, this Colorado program that's currently, you know, in, in the Pac 12. And then TCU, the amazing run that they had to the, you know, college football playoff last year. How do you see in the, this thing unfolding here? And is Coach Prime going to get a kind of little rude indoctrination into some big time college football here? I don't think it'll be a rude indoctrination from an expectation standpoint. Like he's he's in over his head. His roster might be in over their head. We'll see. He brought in famously last I checked, it was fifty three transfers. It's completely unprecedented, and the way he went about it was either awful or awesome depending on where you stand because he basically in his first meeting told the team you um might not want to be here anymore you might want to transfer on out because i'm bringing my guys in and then he had meetings with guys after spring practice guys who wanted to stay and he basically cut them he said you can stay and be on scholarship and go to school but you're not going to play for us we don't want you on the team and that is mean but no that's refreshing you treat a guy like a man, you tell him the truth face-to-face, and he has a chance to make decisions going forward. And so this is the kind of, of situation that he's building. He's got an outstanding quarterback in his son, Shadur Sanders. He's a, he's a dynamic playmaker from Jackson State, you know, the FCS level. And they brought in some really good talent. But I don't know that they're ready to compete with TCU. And I mean not just beat them, I just mean compete with them. Because TCU last year went to the playoff, beat Michigan, and lost a lot of guys to the NFL, but TCU has reloaded with the transfer portal. They have restocked. Their defense will be salty. Offensively, the quarterback is Chandler Morris, the guy that beat out Max Duggan last year before Morris got hurt. Duggan came in as the backup and ended up having a terrific season, led him to the playoff, and now um, you know he, he was drafted into the NFL. And so this TCU team is going to be tough for Colorado to deal with. So if you break it down from the standpoint of, uh, you know, who's going to win this game, if Colorado stays even close, 
it'll be a, a minor miracle and a testament to Deion Sanders. But overall, it's going to be fascinating to watch how Deion's style is going to work because he is salty. He is honest to a fault. He doesn't tell anybody what they want to hear. And frankly, that's kind of a refreshing thing. As we get ready for this opening weekend here, we talked about three games. Give me a game that you've got your eye on that you're really interested in. Besides the well, BYU Cougars, of course. Yes, well, BYU Cougars are playing somebody. They're playing Sam Houston, actually. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, BYU is uh, their, their first year in the Big 12. So it's, it's an exciting year for Cougar fans. Uh, I think Utah, Florida, tomorrow night is a game that I'm really looking at because this is uh The Urban you know, Meyer Bowl? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, the Urban Meyer Bowl. That's right. <laughs> I guess the, they ought to have a they ought to have a football with his picture like engraved in it and that that's the winner of the trophy. Um for Florida, they really struggled last year. And people expect them to struggle again this year. That quarterback is Graham Mertz, who oh, was a tra- is a transfer from Wisconsin. Oh yeah, I know. And at Wisconsin well. he was really good at throwing the ball to the other team. Yeah. <laughs> now whether that's because he couldn't play or because he just didn't have receivers and he was trying to do more than he should have, we're about to find out because he's got receivers now. But uh, Utah is in a much better position than Florida. Utah has a legitimate chance to win the Pac-12. And if things fall right, Utah is one of several teams in the Pac-12 that could make the playoff and legitimately compete in the playoff. The, their problem is that their quarterback, Cam Rising, tore his ACL in the Rose Bowl after last season, and he's really not ready to play yet. Their backup is hurt and probably out for the season, so they'll be playing their third-string quarterback. So if Utah is able to be so dominant at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball that they're able to beat an SEC blue blood with their third option at quarterback on the field. That is a, uh, that'll be a remarkable thing and another feather in the Pac-12's cap. So there's a lot at stake here as well in this game. And I want to see whether Florida is going to be able to take the next step forward and whether Utah is actually as physical as we expect them to be. Because if they are, they're going to physically beat up a whole lot of people in their own conference. Yeah, Bryson Barnes is going to get the start. You know, in watching that injury unfold in the Rose Bowl, Trevor um, to Rising, it was 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 brutal. And you know, they were they were hanging in that Rose Bowl game to Penn State, and then when he went out, they just had no shot. And you're right. I mean, if he is not able to go for any substantial uh, part of this season, it'll be interesting. But I guess you know the good thing is I'm sure Barnes has had like plenty of snaps to get ready for this. But anytime you're facing, even if Florida is down a little bit, you know, a, a tough SEC team like them, uh, it's a little concerned because I would love to play Utah, uh, in this game, you know, coming up. I would love to play them, but I don't know how much I can, I can trust Barnes and, and the quarterback situation. Yeah. But who do you trust more? The, the, the third string quarterback at Utah or Graham Mertz? Yeah. You got that right. Because uh, Florida. So. Who do you trust the most? And plus, Florida's coming out of the swamp, and they're playing at a little over 4,000 feet altitude. And I can tell you that that, that's going to matter for the defense if Utah gets the running game going and is able to string together long drives. And But again, Utah, if they're able to win this game the way that they will have to win it, which is to say everybody knows they're going to be handing the ball off and they'll be making a few throws, but they're not going to count on that. Florida knows that too. And if Utah can win this game regardless – Utah will be a national player when Rising comes back. And if you think at it from a Ute fan standpoint, if they bring back Rising and he tries to go in this game and he gets hurt again, you can, you can, you know, kiss goodbye 
their hopes of winning a Pac-12 championship if he's hurt, you know, badly. But by giving them more time to heal, even if they lose to Florida, they still have a good chance of being a, a one or two lost Pac-12 champion. If they're a one lost Pac-12 champ, they could make the playoff because the committee will give them credit for losing to Florida without their starting quarterback if he's back and playing well later in the season. Trevor, you brought up some ugly memories for me because the last two Wisconsin quarterbacks over the past several seasons, you had Mertz, you know, last year, and then before that was Hornybrook. And I would say every time I would bet on Wisconsin, I got Hornybrooked or I got Mertzed. I mean, terrible. They were terrible. Who was worse, in your opinion? You saw them both quite a bit. Who was worse? Yeah, I, it's hard to say. I, I would say this, that I would say neither one of them is better. Yeah. How about if we put it that way? Because I don't want to rain too hard on them. I will say this, though. Wisconsin is one of those, of those dark horse teams because their defense will be very, very good. The offense still has Braylon Allen, a massive, bruising Wisconsin-style running back. Yeah. But now they brought in Phil Longo as the offensive coordinator. He's going to be running a version of the air raid offense with Tanner Mordecai, a quarterback transfer from SMU, and they got some receivers to transfer in as well. And all of a sudden, you're going to have a hybrid old-school smash mouth Wisconsin style married with spread the field and throw the ball all over the yard with a quarterback who's proven he can do it. And if that thing comes together, then Wisconsin all of a sudden is going to be a scoring machine. And keep in mind that they face uh, that, that they get Ohio State at home in Madison. Uh, this year. So that, that's going to be a massive game to look for. We'll talk about that as we get closer yeah. to it. How difficult is it for you to have to keep up with this, with this, the way the transfer portal is and everything now? And I mean, no one really has a, a returning starting quarterback or uh, skill position players. I mean, you know, again, I mean, you just mentioned Mordecai, you know, coming over, you know, from SMU to Wisconsin and uh, you, Notre Dame's had, you know, the, the transfer situation on both ways from Hartman going there and then, you know, uh, losing what Butcher or whatever, you know, to uh, going to Alabama. And th- that's just off the top of my head. I mean, there's so much of that. I mean, has your workload increased or did you have to start a little earlier since this has been going on? Because as you know, you go back five, ten years ago. I mean, you, you, you never you never had this transfer portal stuff like this. No, this is nuts. And, you know, and they changed the rules for first-year head coaches as well that makes it even more easy for them to bring in tons of transfers. For example, a first-year head coach doesn't isn't limited to 25 um, incoming scholarship players between, you know, new recruits and, and transfers. So you can bring in a whole bunch of people there. And that's just one of the things that happens that, that can make it even easier to have people run around like crazy. I think that, you know, this year, if you just look at USC, for example, two years ago, Jordan Addison, wide receiver for Pitt, won the Blitnikov Award as the top receiver in the country. Last year, he transferred to USC, had a great year, now he's in the NFL, and one of the top receivers at USC now is a transfer from Arizona. And you think, well, Arizona is Dorian Singer. Uh, he just caught Caleb Williams' first touchdown pass of this year against San Jose State last week. Dorian Singer is the second-team all-Pac-12 wide receiver, transferring from Arizona to USC. So Addison's gone, Singer's in. You know, all these different things happen, and just little things like that make you just have to have to blink. It's like the same kind of thing where at the beginning of the season, you have to be careful and say, yeah, this is the home team in the game. Well, that might be at a neutral site. 
You know, there's a lot of things you have to pay attention to, and you can never take anything for granted anymore. Final thing for you, brother. Um, which Give me a team or two that is under the radar, but it's at the top of the Trevor scope. You know, uh, there, there are there, – there's a couple of them. Um, you know, it, it, Texas isn't really under the radar. They're ranked 11th. But I think Texas beats Alabama. Next week, I think it is. Uh, I don't think that uh, Alabama has a receiver or quarterback who would start for Texas this year. And I think that's going to be the difference. And I, if they stay healthy, Texas has a chance to, to be that team. Tennessee is fascinating. If Joe Milton can replace Hendon Hooker as a prolific down-the-field quarterback, this is the only team uh, that has a chance, to a good chance anyway, to beat Georgia in the regular season. And so we'll be watching to see how Tennessee does. But Notre Dame really is, is the team I think people need to watch for. They just shellacked Navy in Dublin in week zero. And people will say, yeah, well, that's Navy. But, but look at what's happened here. Notre Dame's defense is salty at every position. They're very deep at corner, which you need in order to be able to beat the likes of Ohio State and Georgia that will have really good receiving core. But the offensive side of the ball is going to have one of the best offensive lines in the country. They're strong at running back. They've got some good young receivers that will need to step up in order for this to happen. But then transfer a quarterback, Sam Hartman, from Wake Forest. A lot of people wondered how he would do in this scheme because it's kind of a weird scheme that he had at Wake Forest, is the long mesh run meshes on zone reads and stuff. They don't do that at Notre Dame. But in this game against Navy, he was precise. He was accurate. He was hitting covered receivers for first downs and touchdowns. He was beating zone coverage with trajectory that would drop in over a linebacker, but before a safety could get there on the side. And so, <laughs> excuse me, wow. Notre Dame, if they stay healthy and if the young receivers step up, is a team that I think has a good chance to make a lot of noise and knock some conference champion out of the 14 playoff. Here it is, my friend. Hey, it's just the beginning here. All right. So you got to rest up, get that throat ready. And more importantly, Trevor, you got to get it ready for tomorrow because you got to play DJ tomorrow. So go get some rest, my friend. I know we've got, we've got the, the, what are you calling it now? The song thing? The song fest. Yeah. The TC Martin show song fest, the third annual. He said song thing. That's I, lo- so- I love that. Yeah, should we just change it to the Trevor Maddox song thing? Let's song do that. thing. Yeah. It's, like, it's like the swamp thing. Yeah. And you know what? I've, I've got a good one. I think, I think my pick is going to surprise a lot of people, but there's a story behind it, so don't miss it. Now, uh, we're going to start something new this year uh, because we, we've had some of our guests uh, thinking that it's a contest, thinking like, oh, yeah, my song and my story is going to win. And I, I had to say, hey, this, this isn't uh, – this isn't. Uh, yeah, I had to tell Chris Bosio, this isn't a contest. And then Nubchuck says, wait a minute, you know, we need to have an MVP, you know? I mean, every game has an MVP. So after this, the annual song fest, we need to have an MVP. So keep that in consideration, Trevor. What do you think about that? Uh, I think it's a good idea. Okay. Yeah, and it can't be a competition because, I mean, how do you judge it? Right. Um, although you could because Numchuck is he's an extraordinary judge of music. <laughs> although, really, he knows he knows every Taylor Swift song on every album oh! all the way down to the last song on the album. <laughs> he knows the words. He knows the key that they're written in. And he knows the boy that they're written about. <laughs> but, you know, so I stayed away from Taylor Swift on this one. I'll give you that. Thank answer. you very little. Jeez. Yeah. All right, brother. Look forward to talking with you tomorrow. Take care. 
All right, thanks, guys. My guy, Trevor Maddich.